Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Robert Yeager and the Tao Foundation. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Churches are more than just buildings to their parishioners. It's a place where families gather to celebrate special moments like baptisms and marriages. And it can be a place of refuge for, and, and consolation during times of struggle and loss. But the number of parishioners has been declining in the Catholic Church nationwide, and with that comes change in the number of churches that remain open. Coming up, we'll hear about the trends with Dr. Benjamin Peters, Associate Professor of Religious Studies and Theology at the University of St. Joseph. First, earlier this month, the Archdiocese of Hartford announced a major reorganization plan to adapt to the decline in the number of parishioners and priests. Are you a member of a church in the Hartford Archdiocese? Is your church closing or merging with another? How did you respond to the news? You can join the conversation, 860-275-7266. You can email where we live at wmpr.org. As always, find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. To tell us more about the Archdiocese's plan, we're joined now in studio by Reverend James Shanley. He's Vicar of Pastoral Planning for the Archdiocese of Hartford. Welcome to the show. Thank you. So you announced this, I believe, a week ago. Uh, what has been the response uh, in the, the Archdiocese from these, these churches? The response has mostly been positive. People take it as a new challenge, as a new opportunity to form new communities. Obviously, there's a very emotional response as well. For those whose parishes are closing... The church buildings will be closing, as we're calling it, no regularly scheduled masses after June 29th, although there will be some masses celebrated in those buildings as well, weddings and funerals. But all of those people will become part of a new community, a new parish. And many times with these mergers comes a new name as well. When the Archdiocese made the announcement, the official announcement, a week ago, uh, there were some stats. Over the last 50 years, uh, Sunday mass attendance has declined nearly 70 percent. Um, over the same time, the number of active priests are down 65 percent. These are very dramatic numbers. They're very dramatic in our part of the country. But as you're familiar, and I'm sure you may have reported on before, the demographics in Connecticut are shifting. And many of the Catholics, as well as the entire population, you know, certain or a great percentage of them are moving south. So as we're closing certain church buildings up here in the south, they're opening them all the time, building large cathedrals, large buildings, large churches that hold 2,000 people. Uh, because uh, you mentioned there a lot of people are moving, uh, our population is aging. Do you think that the church is in crisis in terms of where it goes uh, with a you know less people coming to your church to worship? I wouldn't say it's in crisis. I would say it has a challenge just as it had a challenge in the early part of the century when people were coming with great number, mostly from Europe at that time, by boat, literally got off the boat and ended up in Hartford, New Haven, Waterbury, speaking languages that were unusual to Americans at that time, and formed parishes and communities where they found safe haven, educated their children, raised a family, and got jobs. You mentioned uh, the history, especially among immigrants, and, and part of that, when people go to church, you know, their parents, their grandparents, their great-grandparents may have also attended this church. That's what's so hard for some people to let go of when they hear that they need to merge with another parish because of declining membership. It is very difficult, and there's a huge emotional toll which nobody can minimize, and we're aware of that. 
But in some of these churches that were built for a thousand people to sit at a given mass, especially in our larger cities, their children and their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren have moved out, moved out of the city, and in some cases moved out of Connecticut. Remind us how you got to this place in terms of deciding which churches will close. I believe there were 212 parishes with the mergers. There'll be 127 parishes later this summer. 26 church buildings will close. 44 priests will be reassigned. How far back did this process begin? Well, it really began in the day the first Catholic came to the state of Connecticut. (laughs) As parishes were constructed, we went from one to 212 over the last 150 years. And now we're stopping and looking again is what we really need in terms of parishes and in terms of churches. So we're rediscovering what the possibilities are. And many of these new mergers will give new life and new opportunity. But in terms of um, your position, was it two years ago when you started to meet with parishioners, meet with leadership at churches? Two years ago, under the direction of Archbishop Blair, we started the pastoral planning process. We engaged a firm in the Midwest to provide us with census data, with demographics, We looked at all of those things. We've had many, many meetings with parishioners, with trustees, parish leaders, parish councils, certainly with the priests, and over the time have devised a plan, which has been presented and revised many times, that we think will ensure stability. And stability is one of the things that people really want in their parishes. They don't want the priest to be like musical chairs all the time, and they don't want to live in wonder if their parish is going to have to close in the near future. And what's the message from your superiors or how the mission may be changing within the church to try to recruit more people to come into the church? Or how do you, I guess, uh, communicate with uh, the region in terms of the Catholic Church? Well, as Archbishop Blair said at the press conference last week, this is all done so that we might have a positive future, that we might have more vibrant parishes, that we don't have people in a small number worshiping in a church that seats eight or 900, and there's only 100 at the Mass. And to attract back people, and once we do some of this reorganization and new parish communities are established, then we can further our efforts in evangelization and really welcome people home to the Catholic Church. We don't want to invite them home and found out it's exactly what they left. We want there to be new life, new vibrancy, solid future, outreach to the poor, all the things that are really important for us as Catholics And for many people, and our Holy Father, Pope Francis, has called us to go from maintenance to mission. We're not in a maintenance of building mode. We want to be in a mission mode. That's an interesting point that you raise, that you want to bring back uh, Catholics who have left, but you don't want them to come back to a church why they left in the first place. What are some of the reasons that you hear from lapsed Catholics, so to speak, about why they left? Sometimes it does have to do with the individual community. Other times, and I think this is universal in our world today, people are too busy. They're too busy for God. They're too busy for faith. They're too busy for church communities. They're running around all over the place. Or they move to a new area, and they can't find a community where they really feel at home. So we're trying to restructure, and then the real pastoral planning takes part after that. Once the structure's in place, then the communities come together, and they decide on a more local level, how they're going to use their buildings, how they're going to employ their staff, and how they're really going to be people of evangelization. 
This is where we live. Uh, today we're speaking with Reverend James Shanley, Vicar of Pastoral Planning for the Archdiocese of Hartford. Uh, last week the Archdiocese announced their reorganization plan uh, where there'll be mergers, uh, fewer parishes because of fewer parishioners and priests. That's something we haven't mentioned in terms of the priesthood. Um, we, we want to bring back uh, people to the church who've left, but what about um, priests in the, the Catholic Church in the Archdiocese of Hartford? Talk about more about the numbers and how do you get people to, or men to enter the priesthood? We do have declining numbers of priests. Unfortunately, people today, in many ways, and even because of the society, don't make a commitment for their entire life. Years ago, people would go to one job and they would stay there forever. And I think the priesthood was more attractive because it is a job that lasts forever. It's a vocation. It's a calling. So it's difficult for young men to make a commitment in their 20s or 30s that they know is going to last their entire life. And even we hope that through these new communities that perhaps more young people will be called because they'll be part of a community that's more vibrant, more diverse, has a better future, and more outreach to the poor. And we're also going to be expanding our ministry on campuses, on college campuses in Connecticut, where we found in the last years many of our vocations have come from. Young men went to college and had their vocation really nourished, and it matured during that time. So with the aid of our vocation director and many others, they explored that call, and many of them have been ordained priests recently. What brought you to the priesthood? Well, I was considering it in high school and then during college, and then as a deeper prayer life and talking with many priests that were in the college situation there at Holy Cross where I went in Worcester, talked about the priesthood with them. They were all happy and found themselves filled with energy and anticipation for doing the work of the church. So that's an interest that um, started when you were in high school. You mentioned that um, youth ministry, reaching more young men in college. But what about in high school? Even in our high schools, too. We have Catholic high schools in the state of Connecticut and the archdiocese. And we're hoping to put more priests there, not just to come in and say a mass once a week or once a month, but really for priests to be involved in the life of the school so that men might be attracted to the priesthood and women might be attracted to the consecrated life as well. For people who are not Catholic uh, but are part of different uh, different faith traditions, uh, they may still wonder why women are not allowed to be priests. Can you give us a, a short answer on that? Well, right now in the history of the church, our Holy Father Pope Francis has declared over and over again, as has his predecessors, that there are not women priests in the Catholic Church. And so we're certainly accepting of that teaching, and the role of women is so important and women are involved in many, many different aspects of the church as well. And certainly this weekend, we have three young men being ordained to the priesthood on Saturday, and they all come from families with fathers and mothers that were filled with faith and passed down the faith to them. We mentioned uh, parochial schools. What's going to happen with those schools in Connecticut? As you see the parishes merging, again, fewer parishioners, uh, what is happening in that terms of that plan as you move forward? Well, as you said, the schools in the archdiocese are all parochial, which means they're parish-based. So they'll now be part of the new parish if they're in a merger situation. So we're actually anticipating that they might become much more stronger than they are today because the number of people supporting them, not only financially, but in terms of their children, volunteerism, will be greater You'll have two or three parishes in one town coming together as one parish, and that school will belong to all of them and will be the responsibility of all of them. So we're hoping that this reorganization of the parishes 
will result in a strengthening of the parish-based schools as well. As we talk about recruitment, uh, getting lapsed Catholics to come back or having people um, become Catholic, what about in terms of the parochial school mission? Um, is How is the message given to communities that this is a school for everyone? Do you find that you can be more successful um, gathering, getting people to enroll their children who may not be Catholic? We have many people that are not Catholic go to our Catholic schools because of their academic excellence. There's all kind of financial aid. There's tuition assistance. And we don't like to turn away anyone who can't pay the tuition. And as you know, and all Connecticut residents know, it costs a lot to live in the state of Connecticut. It costs a lot to raise our to run our Catholic schools. So we're really trying, working with parishes for the archdiocese to give them the support that they need in terms of academic and standards, and the parishes working together to make sure that it is affordable for all. Let's get back to uh, the idea that 26 church buildings were closed. You said that there will be um, some sacraments that will still take place. Uh, what, what will happen to, when we think about uh, some of the churches that have the, the historic uh, designation, well, you know, what will happen to these buildings if they were to be sold? Where does that money go? The money goes with the people. So if the people become part of a new parish or emerged community, the financial assets as well as the liabilities will go with that community of people to their new parish. But there are possibilities for some of these buildings. Some may be used for parish use, even though they're not churches in the sense that they're not a building with pews and an altar, but they may be used as evangelization centers, as youth ministry centers, as senior housing, perhaps, sponsored by the parish or the archdiocese. And as you mentioned, if the particular parish decides to, they can, with Archbishop's permission, sell those buildings, but they have to be sold for a use that's in suggestion with the Catholic Church teachings. You know, they won't become restaurants and bars and things like that, but they may become shelters for the homeless. They may be supportive housing, as we've used some of our schools in the past. St. Francis Xavier School in Waterbury, the Cathedral School in Hartford are both supportive housing projects in buildings that were schools for many, many years. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalbethanchel. Today we're talking about the Archdiocese of Hartford's reorganization plan announced last week in response to the declining number of parishioners and priests. In studio with me is Reverend James Shanley, Vicar of Pastoral Planning for the Archdiocese of Hartford. Coming up, we'll hear about from two of the parishes affected, one's in Waterbury, the other in the north end of Hartford. And we want to hear from you, too. Is your parish merging? How will the change impact you? You can join the conversation. 860-275-7266 or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. This summer, the Archdiocese of Hartford will look very different. A reorganization plan is underway to respond to a decline in the number of priests, as well as fewer practicing Catholics and financial resources. By June 29th, 144 parishes will merge into 59 new parishes. 26 church buildings will close. Does this plan impact you? Is your parish closing or merging? How do you feel about it? You can join the conversation, 860-275-7266. We wanted to talk with a few priests and parishes affected by the reorganization plan. Joining the conversation now is Kay Taylor Brooks. She's part of what's known as the Faithful Ten. They were assigned to create a smooth transition for the merger of St. Michael and St. Justin in Hartford. Kay, welcome to where we live. 
Thank you. So I mentioned Faithful 10. Tell us about this concept and what your job was. Well, after Father Emmanuel, our priest, has seen the data from the archdiocese, he realized that both our parishes couldn't survive as they were. Um, Our numbers were down, and, uh, you know, in both attendance and sacramentals, baptisms, marriages, etc., and he realized that we need to do something. So being the president of the parish council at St. Justin at the time, um, he asked me and the president of St. Michael Parish at the time, who is uh, Burnett Townsend, and he asked us to come together and uh, choose four other people from our congregations to join together to form the uh, Faithful Ten and come up with a solution. We are supposed to tell him what um, what we would like to do. And after discerning, we, we were meeting for a year from March 2016. We met every single week to come up with a solution. And during that time, we decided that it would be best if our parish stayed together as a family. We, we know each other well because we've done a lot of programs together over the years um, under Father Emmanuel's direction, and we decided that we wanted to stay together as a family, and so we thought that we should merge together to become one strong parish. Now, Kay, when you were having these conversations over the last year, what were some of the concerns from both members of St. Justin's and St. Michael's? Well, of course, you know, people from St. Michael was... um, you know, scared about losing their buildings. They've been going there for years. Same as St. Justin. We were both, you know, in that position of, you know, not wanting to change. Of course, change is hard for everyone. But we also realized that it was the right thing to do to be able to come together and build one strong community. We also have, you know, in St. Michael, it's a mostly um, African-American uh, and Spanish community, and at St. Justin, it was mostly um, a Caribbean community, and so we didn't want to lose our cultures. But under Father Emmanuel's direction, we were able to come together and maintain all the cultures, and so we didn't really lose anything um, by coming together. We actually enhanced all the cultures, so we're good with that. That's Kay Taylor Brooks, again, part of the Faithful Ten. She was one of the parishioners assigned to create a smooth transition for this merger between St. Michael's and St. Justin. I wanted to bring into the conversation now your pastor, Father Emmanuel Ihemadu, again, pastor at St. Justin and St. Michael's in Hartford, the merged parishes. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a really interesting concept that more than a year ago, you went to the parishioners and said, we w- I want you to figure out how we're going to do this. Where did you get that idea from? Well, I figured that it will work better um, coming from my parishioners um, instead of imposing it on them. So I figured if uh, they were part of the process, um, you know, if they felt heard uh, from their pastor what they would like to do, that it would make a, a huge difference. Um, Reverend Shanley is here. He's the, the vicar of pastoral planning for the archdiocese. Is what Father Ihemadu, um helped 
uh, happen at his churches. Was that was that unique when you looked at the process with the other uh, churches in the archdiocese? It is slightly unique. There's about seven other churches that have sort of moved more quickly than the rest of the parishes in the archdiocese. And using some of the same data that we gave them and the same observations that we applied to all the parishes, they were able to get their two communities together more quickly than some of the others. And now we're learning from what they did in a very positive way, and other parishes will be following suit. So, uh, Father Hamadou, um, tell me a little bit about the history of the two churches. And now that you've merged, which church will be the, their traditional regular mass uh, on the weekend? I'm just curious about how that's all working out. <clears throat> well, um, you have St. Michael that uh, was predominantly African-Americans, and you have uh, Hispanics mm-hmm. um, there as well. Then over at St. Justin's, you have people from Jamaica, from St. Lucia, from Trinidad and Tobago, from Haiti. So I consider the two churches, um, you know, our own United Nation, because you have people from all over the place. And uh, we we looked at all the, uh, not just the raw data, uh, in terms of attendance, in terms of collection, um, baptisms, um, confirmations, and all of that. But we also looked at space. You know, we looked at where the priests used to live. I have been the pastor of the two churches for about eight years now, uh, and I used to go back and forth. Uh, I would have 9 o'clock Mass at St. Michael's and then go back to St. Justin and have 11 o'clock and then go back to St. Michael and have 12.30 p.m. Mass in Spanish. And um, it was taking a toll on me, and I don't believe that one, a man can be a good father to two homes in the same way. Um, one part of the family will always complain. So we figure that if we come together, it will give me enough time to participate in the life of my parishioners. So I will have Mass and then be able to shake hands and hug folks after Mass and then go back and say the second Mass, which I couldn't do uh, before. And folks from St. Michael's will complain, he's never here, he's always in a rush, he's always running out. you know. But now... We have mass in one place. So we figured, well, um, whether we go to St. Michael's or St. Justin's, some people are going to be upset. So what I did was to ask the faithful ten, uh, tell me what you think. Where should we go? Just be honest about how you feel, knowing that all of them are they are so attached to their buildings, but they are also objective folks. You know, They love the church. They are people of deep faith. So they all objectively listed what, why we should go to St. Michael's or why we should go to St. Justin's. And then we go with that and presented it to the people. Uh, we had a town hall meeting January 28 at St. Michael's. And I, I said to them, we're going to go with this um, assumption that we are moving to St. Justin's based on all the data that we have. We have more parking space. Uh, we have um, a larger building at St. Justin, and the pastor is living at St. Justin. Um, so we looked at all of these, and we said maybe the best thing to do is to go with the idea of the church, uh, the physical building being at St. Justin. So that's why we have St. Justin as our new location. And what happens to St. Michael's? Well, I just had the um, a company do an appraisal of the four buildings at St. Michael's, I have sent the information to the finance council. We have a new finance council comprising of folks, the former of the of the former St. Michael Parish and of this former St. Justin Parish. 
So I've asked them to look at the numbers and come up with suggestions. I'll be meeting with them in the, the next few days. So no decisions have been taken. So we can rent the buildings or we can sell the property. I have not made any decision on that. This is where we live. Today we're talking about the reorganization plan in the Archdiocese of Hartford. In studio with me is Father Emmanuel Ihemadu, the pastor of the now St. Michael St. Justin's Church in the north end of Hartford. Also in studio, Reverend James Shanley, vicar of pastoral planning for the Archdiocese of Hartford. Um, are you a parishioner of one of the churches that will be merging? You can join the conversation, 860-275-7266. I wanted to turn back to your parishioner, um, Father Ihemadu, uh, Kay Taylor Brooks. Again, she was part of the transition of the merger of St. Michael and St. Justin's. Um, I just wanted to ask you, Kay, well, part of the, the, one of the challenges in the Catholic Church is, again, a fewer parishioners. Now that you are merging these two churches, you say that you'll have a strong church community. Um, what will you be doing to try to recruit new members uh, to bring those numbers back up? Well, we have established an evangelization ministry and we um, identified one person from the, uh, the former two churches to lead that ministry, and they will be charged to create um, different ways of reaching out to our communities, developing our youth ministries. Um, we also added a new youth ministry to our um, list of ministries of the parish. and. They will be charged to come up with ways of evangelizing our community around us, uh, both churches, actually, uh, around both churches. So um, that is in the works of what we're actually going to be doing, but that is our plan. And Kay, why do you think uh, people who have uh, left the Catholic Church, why do you think they aren't connecting the way that uh, they may have in the past? Well, as um, I heard Father Shanley said earlier, you know, people have you know, they're so busy running around, they don't have time to go to church. And and also the fact also with us is, um, you know, people want to see more vibrant celebrations. We want to give them something to come to church for. When they come to church and leave Mass, they feel fed. And that's what we're concentrating on at St. Justin, St. Michael Parish, that we want to have vibrant celebrations so people want to come. I think traditionally the masses have been, you know, um, just low-key, and I think people need more than that. And so we're developing that type of celebration at St. Justin, St. Michael Parish. Hopefully that will make people want to come to Mass because they know that it'll be a place where they could be fed spiritually and, and feel like they have, you know, worshipped God in praise and song. Well, I want to thank you, Kay, for joining us today. And I wanted to go back to your pastor, Father Emmanuel Ihemadu. Um, talk about what she was saying in terms of getting people uh, to come to feel more energized in the Mass, uh, to feel more connected to the Church. Yes, um... Kay talked about what we're doing in terms of evangelization. You know, when you hear America runs on Dunkin', you think of Dunkin' Donut. When you hear what can Brown do for you, you think of UPS, right? When you hear every kiss begins with K, you think of K jewelers, you think of Diamond, something like that. And the question is, when you hear St. Justin, St. Michael, what comes to mind? 
and we want our parish to be, you know, not just a family, but a place where people come and they can worship. Um, I, I bet in the whole Archdiocese of um, Hartford, St. Justin St. Michael is probably the only place you will go and we don't have a drive through service. Our service is like an hour and a half, sometimes two hours. Um, eight years ago when I went there, the, the, the parishioners sent a delegation to me telling me that I was rushing them. You know, I used to give like a five minute or six minutes or seven minutes homily. But now I can go 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and they are not in a hurry to go. Um, they want to be there. So basically what we're trying to do is to um, revitalize how, how we worship, make sure that we have a very vibrant, thriving music ministry, um, religious education, youth program, and now meeting with every ministry in the parish, giving them a workshop. So almost every week I have a meeting with either the liturgy committee or the um, finance council or the um, social events committee, so just to make sure that we're on the same page. We have the same mission and the same vision, you know, to make sure that we're all connected. There's a lot of adjustment going on, but you have to be on top of it and make sure that you are, you know, the whole family know where you want them to go. You know, So um, my goal is to see that we have a very thriving parish, uh, that people come and they can, without... Um, watering down the teachings of the church without tampering with our doctrine, but also allow people to express those doctrines in their own unique way. You know, so music, uh, the way we worship, the way we sing, the way we celebrate the word, so that when they walk out of the church, they are not disappointed. They feel like they have been fed. Um, pretty soon we're going to hear about what's happening in Waterbury in terms of the reorganization plan. But I did want to ask you quickly, Father Emmanuel Ihamadu, um, you mentioned adapting. I understand during this year-long process you even brought in a grief counselor to help uh, your parishioners uh, come to terms with this merger. How did that go, and how, what are your parishioners saying now? Well, um, you probably know this. Well, I have a background in counseling, so I am actually in a a doctoral program at UConn, majoring in counseling psychology. So, um, I mean, I've been a priest for 11 years now, and no one has ever come to me asking me about the features of God or something I learned in systematic theology. But most people come to me because of one kind of pain or loss or the other. Oh, my husband was diagnosed with cancer, or I lost a son, or I lost a daughter. And so that actually informed my decision about the grief counseling. I figured that folks from St. Michael's have ties to the building, have ties to this parish. They have, um, there's a loss of identity, loss of the way uh, of a building, of a relationship. So, and I figured that it would be important to normalize those feelings, you know. And I can assure you that in the entire one year that we've been doing this, the highlight of this process is the grief counseling uh, because it created an, a, a safe environment for my parishioners to um, express their sense of loss and not stifle it into some deep, you know, deep dark hole of the heart, but allow it and, and not allow it to fester, but to tell me how they feel. Uh, tell me, last Sunday, somebody said to me, um, you know, Father, I hated you. I was so mad. I was so upset with you. But thank you for doing it. Thank you for your vision. 
you know. So in that in that grief counseling, watching my parishioners look at me in the face and tell me how they were feeling, without me being defensive, but instead embrace them, hug them, and and say, if I were in your shoes, I don't know how I would have felt. It made a whole lot of difference, mm-hmm. and 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 that has brought me closer to my parishioners than any other thing you can think of. We're talking about the reorganization plan in the Archdiocese of Hartford today on Where We Live. Joining the conversation now is Father Christopher Ford. He's vicar of the Waterbury Deanery, rector at the Basilica of the Immaculate Conception in Waterbury. In that city, four churches will close. That's uh, more than any other community in the Archdiocese. Father Christopher, uh, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Give us, give us a little bit of history about the, the parishes in Waterbury and how they were unique to that city. Well, Waterbury, as as most of your listeners probably are aware, was a very important industrial city in the late 19th century and early 20th century to really the mid-20th century. And um, naturally, many immigrants came to Waterbury and from European, mostly European countries, and, and a great majority of them were, were Catholic. And so um, uh, we have a lot of uh, nat- what we call national parishes or personal parishes. They don't have a particular territory like most parishes have. They were erected to serve a particular group with a particular need, often because they spoke a different language. And so at one time, I think almost half of the parishes of the city were these national parishes, these personal parishes. And as I, I believe Father Shanley mentioned before, that the people have assimilated. You know, um, this is now two, three, four, five generations ago these were established. And um, the people now speak English, and, and they, you know, they moved to the suburbs. And so some of our, you know, our national parishes, I mean, we have three Italian, we have three Italian national parishes, Polish, Lithuanian, German, French, Portuguese. Um, and, and so they, they've been particularly hit, you know, um, more of a demographic issue here than... Um, I mean, there is the shortage of priests and fewer people going to church, but I, I see in Waterbury that it's mainly demographic. And, and how did the parishioners take the news that um, four of the church buildings would close? Well, um, I, I'm the pastor of one parish that's remaining um, autonomous, the Basilica downtown, but um, I'm also the administrator of two others that are part of the, the grand merger. There's, there's the largest merger in the diocese, is six parishes coming together. And I've been administrator of two of those for the last year. And one is um, an Italian national parish that, um, St. Lucie's, that will be closing for regularly scheduled Sunday Masses. And I, I was very pleased. You know, we, we have been working with, you know, the, the part of the process was input from the parishes and and um, and meetings to discuss you know what would they how do they propose solving the problem and um, so I was very pleased when it was announced um, after I read the announcement from the Archbishop we had a we had a meeting where they could ask questions and, and, and get more details and I was you know again they're sad because they're so connected to the place but I, I found that just about everybody um, understood it, and 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 real, and was open to the change, even though you know they they were grieving, as Father Manuel says. Now at St. Anne's, um, that's a French uh, Canadian um, population. 
they're very they're they're small, but they're very strong and very active. And uh, they're they'll now be hosting. They'll, they'll be part of this um, this merger, and so their church stays open, but the, it'll change radically because um, there's six. Uh, you know, six parishes coming together, and now it's going to be a very, very large parish. And instead of just having one mass uh, on Sunday morning uh, with 150 people or so, there'll probably be well over a thousand people worshiping there every every Sunday with with quite a few different masses. Now, and I... they were very open to it because they it's a very large plant. In fact, most of your listeners would be very much aware of it if they've ever driven through Waterbury. It's the Gothic church that you can see from the highway with the twin twin towers. And they love their church, but today it's just, it's huge, and it's um, several buildings, and, and even though they're very active, they, they can't, they can't um, uh, support uh, running such a large plant. Now, Father so Ford... for them, even though they, they know that the parish will change, um, they're very open to it because they know it's a way uh, an important Father Ford, uh, can you can you hear me? Um, I just had a question too about um, you said that uh, the, for the most part parishioners are taking the news well, but any worry that uh, this merger, because you mentioned uh, um, certain families who've had ties to these uh, ethnic churches for so long, any worry that they, that you may lose some of them because of this process? Um, I, I haven't heard anyone that has decided to you know abandon. Their, their faith over it, I think um, that's for sure. Um, I have not heard anything like that from any of the people. Well, I want to thank uh, Father Christopher Ford. He's vicar of the Waterbury Deanery and rector at the Basilica of the Immaculate Conception in Waterbury. Father Ford, thank you so much for your time today. You're welcome. Also, thank you to Father Emmanuel Ihemadu, pastor at the merged St. Justin St. Michael's Church in the north end of Hartford. We appreciate your time. Thank you. Now, coming up, we're going to hear more about the trends in Catholicism nationwide. How are other church communities responding to the same challenges? Fewer practicing Catholics and fewer priests. We'll find out after the break. Join the conversation. 860-275-7266. This is where we live. Coming up tomorrow, according to the National Alliance on Mental Illness, one in five adults in the U.S. experiences a mental illness each year. That's 20 percent of all American adults. Yet stigma still surrounds the issue of mental health. On the next Where We Live, we'll find out how one Connecticut nonprofit is encouraging young adults to help destigmatize mental illness by sharing their stories through a program called Right On. That's tomorrow. Now, today we've been talking about changes in the Archdiocese of Hartford. Are the issues Hartford is facing similar to other uh, Catholic communities in the U.S.? To help us answer that question, we're joined now by Dr. Benjamin Peters, Associate Professor of Religious Studies and Theology at the University of St. Joseph. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank you. So this is part of a historical trend. Tell us uh, as we hear about the decline in numbers since the mid-60s in the Catholic Church. Yeah, I, I think, I, you know, um, both Father Ford and Father Shanley had pointed to the fact that there there are folks moving in different parts of the country that, that, that the church in the Northeast is different than the church in the South and the Southwest. But I think most historians point to kind of the mid-60s, which, you know, which is kind of what we're talking about 50 years ago. There were this many parishes and this many Catholics. And uh, versus now, but the, the kind of in, in, in the mid-60s, there begins to be a shift in what 
was seen as kind of a Catholic subculture. My, my grandparents grew up um, with, within that, where the parish was the center of, of Catholic life. People live in particular neighborhoods. People sent their kids to Catholic schools. And that this begins to dissipate in the mid-60s. People moved to the suburbs. Catholics moved to the suburbs. Father Ford mentioned uh, people learning English and not needing those ethnic parishes anymore. Uh, and so it's really in the mid-60s that uh, American Catholics really confront religious pluralism for the, for the first time. They're, they're living with they're living with neighbors who aren't Catholic. Uh, they're, they've got kids, friend, their kids' friends don't go to Catholic schools. And really that the question of what does it mean to be Catholic and how am I Catholic uh, really first, first starts hit, hitting, hitting, um, hitting Catholics then. Uh, I think they also hit uh, within that context of U.S. Re- religious pluralism the, the notion of privatized religion, which, which seems to be a very particular way in, in, in the U.S. we deal with religious pluralism, the, the idea that all beliefs are equal, all beliefs are essentially the same, and so what you believe, uh, it doesn't matter what you believe, and so what you believe really doesn't matter. And so I think what we're seeing now is sort of two two generations of uh, U.S. Catholics living within that context of of American religious pluralism, and, and really having to ask what is the place of their faith. And um, the irony, of course, is that for a lot of people back in, in the '60s, this was seen as a good thing. This this was seen as progress. That this was Catholics showing that they could be good Americans, just like everybody else. Um, but I think now we're starting to see that maybe that wasn't necessarily a, a good process to happen. So. I wanted to take a call. Paul, I'm sorry, rather, Bob is calling from Simsbury. Bob, you're on the show. Thanks, Lucy. I wanted to call because I was raised Catholic and, and raised to believe the things that the Church taught, and then decided not to raise my children in the Church. And um, I, I wanted to speak to the priests that thought they knew why people were leaving. And for me, it was the Church teaching on divorce, gay marriage, contraception, sexual ethics, um, and, and the lack of, of women in the priesthood. Um, the Church doesn't speak to me anymore. It, it, it doesn't speak for me. And I'm afraid that if the, the, the hierarchy doesn't start listen, listening to their congregations and to their Pope, that the Catholic Church will be out of business soon. Bob, thank you for your call. I'll have Reverend Shanley respond to that. Probably something you have not heard, you've heard before, oh, I'm sure. <laughs> certainly heard before, and certainly he's entitled to his opinion and his beliefs. And obviously the Catholic Church talks about these issues all the time. It's certainly slower to move in any direction other than society, and there are key beliefs and moral teachings which we feel and the Catholic Church feels are very important. And just just quick, I mean, I I think a a, a call like that is 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 showing how I think people. Ca- I mean, that's a comment that you never would have heard from from a Catholic fifty years ago. I, I think again, as we're taking in more American values, and maybe Catholics are seeing themselves as more um, American, they are beginning to question what it means to be Catholic, and 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 that the Catholic Church doesn't speak. That's something that my grandparents never would have said. Mm-hmm. Now, what about um, Pope Francis? We hear a lot from Catholics, especially younger Catholics, but now that Pope Francis is uh, at the Vatican, it's re-energized them. Uh, talk about that connection that people are feeling because of his leadership. Well, I think what you see with Pope Francis is is that people want something. Like I, I, I think kind of as we move to the suburbs and as people stop going to church and go to the mall and instead on Sunday mornings, they're starting to feel that there's an emptiness to that, 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 that sort of what modern American con- consumerist culture gives them is not something that, that can feed them. And, and so I think you see the popularity of Pope Francis and, and, and his message. And speaking not just to Catholics but to non-Catholics, 
really, I, I think, is evidence that, that, that he's tapping into to a very human longing, a very human de- desire for something more than simply, you know, getting whatever I want when, whenever I want it from Amazon or, or, um, or that, that all belief is simply a personal choice. Um, I think he's 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 showing us that 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 that, that those really are very empty choices, and um, hopefully that that can bring um, folks maybe who've fallen away from the church back into the church, or people who've who've never thought about being Catholic to to, to kind of re, re- reexamine and maybe to get beyond some of the stereotypes of what people think uh, the Catholic Church is about, and and to kind of re- reexamine it and 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 to look at people who who are Catholic. I think this is a very important time for those of us who are Catholic. Because uh, people are looking, and I think Francis is in, in, is inviting people to look to see, well, what is going on at your local Catholic parish, and 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 what is the what, what is my next door neighbor who does go to Catholic church, what is he, what is he or she like, and how do they raise their kids, and what are their kids like? So, and Pope Francis too, I think, he hasn't changed any of the teaching of the Catholic Church, but he's just presenting it in a new way and calling for discovery and tolerance and prayer and outreach to people. You know, really be of service to one another. How damaging was the sex abuse scandal in the Catholic Church, not in this country, but in other countries as well? How damaging was that to turn people away from the church? Well, I think you'd be hard-pressed to say that that didn't do some damage and that and that, that didn't turn some people off from the church, um, especially maybe how, how they view their bishops and sort of how they trust bishops, which, which I, I think is also going to— affect how people hear these various uh, announcements but i i think a bigger thing to see is that, is is that this that, that that the sex scandal wasn't wasn't the cause of what we're talking about here that this has a much longer historical trend um, this this was a trend actually that you know a lot of protestant de- denominations went through 50 years before catholics started in the 60s and and it's it, Interesting for me to sort of look at Muslim Americans and and they're starting to go through various questions and you know what does it mean to be Muslim and an American and 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 so these are longer historical processes. I I think the sex scandal might have exacerbated it for some people um, and may have made it more complicated now as 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 we're looking to archbishops and and, and bishops to kind of lead people and 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 for people to look to them. Um, but no, I. I yeah. It certainly eroded trust, though. How does the church win back that trust, Reverend Shanley? Well, I think we're trying that through dialogue and through participation and by trying to revitalize these parish communities, by giving people a chance now to come together and to create something new, to bring the best of two or three different parishes together and to form a new entity that hopefully will welcome people with greater... Every parish thinks they're the most hospitality-driven parish there is, and then we confront them with the reality that they're not full. So there has to be something lacking. Chuck's calling from Norwich. Chuck, we just have a couple of minutes. Go ahead with your question. Uh, yes, I agreed with the uh, one of the last speakers. You know, it seems like when we're in crisis, like people said two generations ago, people lived through the Depression, and, and they, were, they, they needed the Church to get through because times are really hard. Times are better now, and it seems like, uh, I, I don't know what it is, the difference that bring people, you know, and people are more educated. They're asking questions, and I need to, the church needs to be able to answer people with good questions. Thank you, Chuck, for for your comment. I wanted to go back to to Ben Peters again. He's associate professor of religious studies and theology at the University of Saint Joseph. Much of this hour, we're focusing on Hartford and the changing demographics. Let's look uh, nationwide. What's the future for the church? 
Well, I I think one thing that's that's happening, and and I think we we can see this. You know, if 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 we believe that this is a process that ultimately is is being led by the Holy Spirit, is to say instead of worrying that are are things falling apart, or things are things aren't the, aren't the way they that they used to be, is maybe reading the signs of the times and saying, well, you know, where where, where are things going? Um, one question I, I think that this poses for a lot of people is sort of thinking past the the ethnic and parochial parish and 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 seeing the church as we're all part of one church not not just in Hartford but in the United States and then globally and um, and not seeing the rival parish as 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 somehow competition or the rival Catholic school as somehow competition. I think also sort of looking at the role of, of laity and priests and saying, you know, how many priests do we need? I, I think we've been very blessed in the in the U.S., especially going back to the early 20th century, to have a lot of vocations. And the expectation that, you know, I, I live in West Hartford, that West Hartford has six Catholic parishes and each each of those parishes has a has a full time pastor. And that and that at 1030 mass on Sunday, there's four different places. You know, that's something that if you go to Latin America, if you go, go to Africa, that's just not the case, you know, and, and the church is thriving there. So are, are there ways that we can, re, you know, think about that, that while that while what priests do is very central to what the church is, it doesn't have to be everything. And that, you know, the role of deacons and the role of lay people, um, I think. I, I think now, in, in many ways, we're sort of being forced to, to look at that, and, and I think we, we could see that as a problem, or we could see that as maybe this is grace at work and, and sort of transforming our church and, and, and bringing our church uh, in, into a new era here. I wanted to turn back to Reverend James Shanley again, Vicar of Pastoral Planning for the Archdiocese of Hartford. Um, is the key to strengthening the church also reaching those millennials? I read in the, the Pew survey that they surveyed more than 35,000 Americans a couple of years ago. And millennials, many of them identify as to no religion. How do you reach them? Well, I think that's a great challenge for us. And that's certainly a challenge for every single one of the parishes. But they want to belong. Millennials do want to belong to organizations and they want to belong to the church. But they want to belong to something that's got a future, a very strong future and a great outreach to the poor. So by trying to combine these two things, we really believe that millennials will want to join again. I want to thank again Reverend Shanley, also Dr. Ben Peters, Associate Professor of Religious Studies and Theology at the University of St. Joseph. Thanks so much for coming in today. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, WMPR's executive producer is Katie Tolarski. Thanks for producing today's show. Our technical producer is Kion Wolf. Special thanks to Lydia Brown. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Thanks for listening.